The Chronicles of Narnia, Book 1, Chapter 1, The Wrong Door. This is a story about something that happened long ago when your grandfather was a child. It is a very important story because it shows how all the comings and goings between our own world and the land of Narnia first begun. In those days, Mr. Sherlock Holmes was still living in Baker Street, and the Bastables were looking for treasure on the Lewis Holm Road. In those days, if you were a boy, you had to wear a stiff etin collar every day. And schools were usually nastier than now, but meals were nicer. And as for sweets, I won't tell you how cheap and good they were, because it would only make your mouth water in vain. And in those days, there lived in London a girl named Polly Plummer. She lived in a long row of houses which were all joined together. One morning she was out in the back garden when a boy scrambled up from the garden next door and put his face over the wall. Polly was very surprised because up till now there had never been any children in the house but only Mr. Ketterly and Miss Ketterly, a brother and sister old bachelor and old maid, living together. So she looked up, full of curiosity. The face of the strange boy was very grubby. It could hardly have been grubbier if he had first rubbed his hands on the earth. And then he had good tried, and then dried his face with his hands. As a matter of fact, he, this was very nearly what he had been doing. Hello, said Polly. Hello, said the boy. What's your name? Polly, said Polly. What's yours? Diggory, said the boy. I say, what a funny name, said Polly. It isn't half so funny as Polly, said Diggory. Yes, it is, said Polly. No, it isn't, said Diggory. At any rate, I do wash my face, said Polly. Which is what you need to do, especially after... And then she stopped. She'd been going to say after you've been blubbing, but she thought that wouldn't be polite. All right, I have then, said Diggory in a much louder voice, like a boy who was so miserable that he didn't care who knew how he'd been on crying. And so would you, he went on. If you lived in all your life in the country and had a pony and a river at the bottom of the garden and then brought to a beastly hole like this, London isn't a hole, said Polly indignantly. But the boy was too wound up to take any notice of her. And then he went on. And if your father was away in India, then you had to come live with an aunt and uncle who's mad. Who would like that? And if the reason that they were looking after your mother, and if your mother was ill and going to going to die and then his face with the long sort of shape as it does if you're trying to keep back your tears I didn't know I'm sorry said Polly humbly and then because she hardly knew what to say and also to turn Diggory's mind to cheerful subjects she asked is Mr. Ketterly really mad well either he's mad said Diggory or there's some other mystery. He's a study on top, on the top floor, and Aunt Letty says I must never go up there. Well, that looks fishy to begin with. And then there's another thing. 
Whenever he tries to say anything to me at mealtimes, he never even tries to talk to her. She, she always shuts him up. She says, don't worry the boy, Andrew, or I'm sure Diggory doesn't want to hear about that. Or else, now Diggory, why don't you go out and play in the garden? What, what sort of things does she try to say? I don't know. He never gets far enough. But there's more than that. One night, it was last night in fact, I was going past the foot of the attic stairs on my way to bed, and I don't know, and I don't much care for going past them either. I'm sure I heard a yell. Perhaps he keeps a bad wife shut up there. Yes, I've thought of that. Or perhaps he's a coiner. Or he might have been a pirate, like the man at the beginning of Treasure Island, and be always hiding from his old shipmates. How exciting, said Polly. I never knew your house was so interesting. You may think it's interesting, said Diggory, but you wouldn't like it if you had to sleep there. Now, would you like to lie awake, listening for Uncle Andrew's step to come creeping along the passage to your room? He has such awful eyes. That is how Diggory and Polly get, got to know one another. And it was just the beginning of summer holidays, and neither of them were going to see that year. They met nearly every day. Their adventures began chiefly because it was one of the wettest and coldest summers there had been for years. That drove them to the indoor things, you might say. Indoor exploration. It is wonderful how much exploring you could do with a stump of candle in the big house, or in a row of houses. Polly discovered long ago that if you opened a certain little door in the box room attic of her house, you would find a cistern and a dark place behind it, which you can get by, get by a little careful, get by into a little careful climbing. The dark place was like a long tunnel with a brick wall on one side and sloping roof on the other. In the roof there, were there were little chunks of light between the slates. There was no floor in this tunnel. You had to step from rafter to rafter, and between them there was only plaster. If you'd step on this, you would find yourself falling through the ceiling of the room below. Polly had used this a bit of this tunnel just beside the cistern as a smuggler's cave. She had brought up bits of old packing cases and seats of broken kitten kitchen chairs and things of that sort, and spread them across from rafter to rafter as to make a bit of a floor. She was writing, and usually, a f in a story, she was writing, and usually a few apples. She had drunk a quiet bottle of ginger beer in there. The old bottles made it look like more like a smuggler's cave. Diggory quite liked the cave. She wouldn't let him see the story. But he was more interested in exploring. Look there, he said. How long does this tunnel go on for? I mean, does it stop where your house ends? No, said Polly. The walls don't go out to the roof. It goes on. I don't know how far. Then, we could get the length of the whole row of houses. So we could, said Polly. And oh, I say, what? We can get into other houses. And yes, and get taken out for burglars. No thanks. Don't be so jolly clever. I was thinking of the house beyond yours. 
What about it? Why? It's the empty one. Daddy says it's always been empty ever since we came here. I suppose we ought to have a good look at it then, said Diggory. He was a good deal more excited than you would have thought from the way he spoke. Of course, he was thinking it, just as he would have been. For of all the reasons why the house might have been empty so long, so was Polly. Neither of them said the word haunted, and both felt that once the thing had been suggested, it'd be feeble not to go to it. Shall we go and try it now, said Diggory. All right, said Polly. Don't say you'd rather not, said Diggory. I'm gay if you are, said she. How are we to know when we are the next house but one? They decided they would have to go out into the box room and walk across it, taking steps as long as the steps were from one rafter to the next. That would give them an idea about, of how many rafters went to a room. This would allow about four more for the passage between the two attics and Polly's house, and then the same number for the maid's bedroom as for the box room. They'd give them the length of the house. When they hadn't done that distance twice, they would be at the end of Diggory's house. Any door would come, up, come to after that would let them into the attic of the empty house. But I don't expect it's really empty at all, said Diggory. What do you expect? I expect someone lives in there in secret, only coming in and out at night with a dark lantern. We shall possibly discover a gang of desperate criminals and get a reward. It's all rot to say a house would be empty all these years, unless there was some mystery. Daddy thought it'd be the drain, said Polly. Pooh! Grown-ups are always thinking of uninteresting explanations, said Diggory. Now that they were taking the candlelight in the attic instead of by candlelight in the smuggler's cave, it seemed much less likely the empty house would be haunted. Oh, when they measured the attic, they had to get a pencil and do a sum. They both got different answers to it at first, but when they agreed, I am not so sure how they got it right. They were in a hurry to start on the exploration. We mustn't make a sound, said Polly, as they climbed in again behind the cistern, because it was such an important occasion. They took a candle each. Polly had a good store of these in her cave. It was, it was very dark and dusty and drafty, and they stepped from one rafter to another rafter without a word except they whispered to one another, We're opposite. This must be halfway through our house, and neither of them stumbled, and the candles didn't go out. At last, they came, where they could see a little door in the brick wall on their right. There was no bolt or candle or handle on the side of this. Of course, the door had been made for getting in, not for getting out. There was a catch, as they were often on the inside of the cupboard door, which they felt sure they would have been able to turn. Shall I? said Diggory. I'm game if you are, said Polly. Just as she had said before. Both felt it was becoming very serious, but neither could draw back. Diggory pushed around the catch with some difficulty. The door swung open, and the sudden daylight made them blink. Then, with a great shock, they saw that they were looking down into a deserted attic, 
but into a furnished room. It seemed empty enough. It was dead silence. Paula's curiosity got the better of her. She blew up the candle and stepped out into the strange room, making no more noise than a mouse. It was shaped, of course, like an attic, but furnished as a sitting room. Every bit of the walls was lined with shelves, and every bit of the shelves was full of books. A fire was burning into the grate. You remember, it was a, a very cold, wet summer that year. And in front of the fireplace, with its back toward them, was a high-backed armchair. Between the chair and Polly, filling most of the middle of the room, was a big table piled with all sorts of things. Printed books, and books of the sort you can write in, and ink bottles, and pens, and sealing wax, and a microscope. That's, but that's what she noticed first, was a bright red, red wooden tray with a number of rings on it. They're in pairs, a yellow one and a green one together, then a little space, and then another yellow one, then another green one. They were no bigger than ordinary rings, and no one could help noticing them because they were so bright. They were the most beautifully shiny things that you can imagine. If Polly had been a very little younger, she would have put, she'd wanted to put one in her mouth. The room was so quiet that you would notice the ticking of the clock at once. And yet, she had now found that it was not absolutely quiet either. There was a faint, a very faint humming sound. A vacuum cleaners had been invented in those days. Polly thought it was the sound of a hoover being worked a long day off. Several rooms away and several floors below. But it was only a nicer sound than that, a more musical tone only so faint that you could hardly hear it. All right, there's no one here, said Polly, her shoulder over to Diggory. She was speaking above a whisper now, and Diggory came out, blinking and extremely dirty, as, po as indeed Polly was too. This is no good, he said. This is not an empty house at all. You better leave before anyone comes. What do you think those are, said Polly? pointing at the colored rings. Oh, come on, said Diggory. The sooner he never finished what he was going to say for that moment, something happened. The high back chair in front of the fire moved suddenly, and there rose up out of it like a pantanine de demon coming out of the trapdoor, the alarming form of Uncle Andrew. They were not in the empty house at all. They were in Diggory's house, in the forbidden subby study, both cylinders said, ooh, and realized their terrible mistake. At first, they ought to know how all along they had gone nearly far enough. Uncle Andrew was tall and very thin. He had a long, clean-shaven face with a sharply pointed nose, an extremely bright eye, and a great trussled mop of gray hair. Diggory was quite spe speechless for Uncle Andrew had looked a thousand times more alarming than he had ever looked before. Polly was not so frightened yet, but she soon was, for the very first thing un Uncle Andrew did was to walk across the door of the room, shut it, and turn the key in the lock. Then he turned around, fixed the children with his bright eyes. He smiled, showing all of his teeth. 
There, he said. Now my fool of a sister can't get you. It was dreadly unlike anything a grown-up would be expected to do. Paula's heart came into her mouth, and she and Diggory started backing towards the door, day coming by. Uncle Andrew was too quick for them. He got behind them and shot that door, too, and stood in front of it. Danny Danny rubbed his hands and made his knuckles crack. He had very long, beautifully white fingers. I am delighted to see you, he said. Two children are just what I wanted. Please, Mr. Ketterly, said Polly. It's nearly my dinner time and I've got to go home. Will you let us out, please? Not just yet, said Uncle Andrew. This is too good an opportunity to miss. I wanted two children, you see. I'm in the middle of a great experiment. I've tried it on a guinea pig and it seemed to work. But then, a guinea pig can't tell you anything. And you can't explain it how to come back. Look here, Uncle Andrew, said Digby. It really is dinner time, and they'll be looking for us in a moment. You must let us out. Must, said Uncle Andrew. Digby and Pauline glanced at one another. They did not say anything, but but the glances meant, isn't this dreadful? And we must humor him. If you let us go for dinner now, said Polly, we could come back after dinner. Ah, but how do I say I know you would, said Uncle Andrew with a cunning smile. Then he seemed to change his mind. Well, if you really must go, I suppose you must. I can't expect two youngsters to find it much fun talking to an old buffer like me, he said and went on. You have no idea how lonely I sometimes am, but no matter, go to your dinner. I must give you a present before you go. It's not every day I see a little girl in my dingy old story, especially, I must say, so you are a very attractive young lady as yourself. Polly began to think he, he might not really be mad after all. Wouldn't you like a ring, my dear, said Uncle Andrew to Polly. Do you mean one of those yellow green ones, said Polly. How lovely! Not a green one, said Uncle Andrew. I'm afraid I can't give the green ones away but I'd be delighted to give you any of the yellow ones with my love. Come and try one on. Polly had not quite got over her fright and felt sure the old gentleman was not mad. And there there was certainly something strangely attractive about those bright rings. She moved over to the tray. Why, I declare, she said, that a humming noise gets louder here. It's almost as if the rings are making it. What a funny fancy, my dear, said Uncle Andrew with a laugh. It sounded a very natural laugh, but Diggory had seen an eager, eager, almost a greedy look on his face. Polly, don't be a fool, he shouted. Don't touch him. It was too late. Exactly as he spoke, Polly's hand went to go touch one of the rings, and immediately, without a flash or noise or a warning of any sorts, there was no Polly. Diggory and his uncle were alone in the room. That is the finish of chapter one.